Alicia, how are you? Hi, Flano, how are you? Long time no hear, again. We keep doing this. <laughs> yeah, but I'm sure that we surprised everyone that with this episode, so they're listening to it right now. So, obviously, our podcast is not that, and we are back, and we are kicking, we are alive. Quick announcement, this will be the first episode of a new series of podcasts, which will be really technology dedicated. The context behind all of this is all this new tech which uh, was released uh, around the generative AI, how to say, hysteria, fashion. (laughs) (laughs) Hype, for sure. Flood (laughs) of news and etc. And we decided, okay, uh, this is a podcast which is in a way produced uh, by, not in a way, it is produced uh, for FIBEP from the Tech Commission. So there should be a tech-dedicated segment within our podcast. And because a lot is going on, there is a news almost every day. And we would like to report this news back to you and we will try to humanize them. So you don't need to be a data scientist. Please don't bring your data scientist on board. They could listen this too. It will be interesting for them. But the main focus are non-data science people who are from the big intelligence world and would like to benefit from all of this. And saying all of that, this will be the first, like the foundation episode. So we have an agenda, we will cover the main topics, we will discuss the main glossary, the main terms, uh, and we will uh, explain all of that for you. So in future, you will be a little bit more prepared for uh, following episodes. We will start in a minute, but before that, Alicia has an announcement and I'm giving her the opportunity to do the announcement. Alicia? Or you're putting me on the spot, basically. Yes. But uh, yeah, there, there was um, a little bit of change and um, I ended my journey at Sotletic. And I almost left media intelligence industry, but no, uh, no. <laughs> but it turned out it's not so easy to quit. And also <laughs> the podcast can continue. And right now you can find me uh, in Viewpoint. So I'm very happy to to, st- to stay in the industry and to keep you know recording the podcast for you as it's part of FIBA family. So uh, you're not getting rid of me so easily. <laughs> no, no, these are fantastic news. Uh, I'm really happy that you will stay within the industry. Yeah, it's always great when important people and talented people, uh, they stay within our small community of companies uh, which serve the media intelligence industry. Okay, this is the, let's say, the formal part of the podcast. So mm-hmm. let's go directly to the not so formal and the actual content. I will start with explaining the current context. And I have a few bullet points here. So what is going on within the so-called AI, within the media intelligence industry? And actually, it's going a lot. So if you're within the media intelligence industry and if you do not live in a cave, I'm sure that you watched a lot of webinars, you read a lot of articles, almost all the companies, they... And maybe, uh, maybe you even attended... Maybe, Maybe you even attended the tech day that happened in Rome recently that FIPEP organized. And it was really mostly about the generative AI. Absolutely. And I thank God that uh, we as an industry that we started to call all of this generative AI, not chat GPT only, because that's just a small segment of all of this. But yeah, what's going on? First, 
we see the rise of the language models. And we'll explain a little bit later what a language model is, just to be sure that everybody is on the same page. But yeah, we see the rise of the language models. We see that there is a global hype regarding all of this tech. Uh, not only here in the media intelligence industry, but there is a global hype almost in every knowledge-intensive industry. A lot of people, a lot of users finally had the opportunity to interact with a very knowledgeable uh, system, which is extremely flexible to what you can do with that system. So right now, almost everything which is knowledge related in a way feels disrupted by uh, big language models and chatbots, uh, which are based on uh, big language models. So everybody was talking and it's still talking regarding that. And we see a lot of regulation, primarily in the EU, coming towards uh, generative AI. And we'll talk about this a little bit later, which you should monitor possible risks, etc. But we are still on the context. We see a lot of organizations, a lot of uh, researchers, a lot of visionaries giving bold statements that somewhere between 50 and 70% of what we used to do with people within the military intelligence industry could be done uh, with uh, generative AI. Maybe that's a speculation, maybe that's not, but there is a huge expectation that all of this tech will radically change the the way we create products, uh, reports, analysis, newsletters, etc. within the industry. That's part of the context. We have this huge expectation. And at the same time, a lot of money are uh, dedicated into research and in, how to say, an improvement of uh, the existing workflows. We see a constant, almost daily flood of new AI tools for uh, text generation and text processing. Uh, in a way, we are living in an so how to call it, like free and open source moment of all of this software, which previously was on, I know it was accessible only to people like Mark Zuckerberg. And right now we see all of this tech released and uh, people like uh, me, Alicia, and you, you have still have uh, access to this type of tech. You can, if you know what you're doing, you can implement it. Uh, just a few months ago, this was strictly reserved to people like Mark Zuckerberg. Right now, this is not the fact anymore. In a way, this is like an extreme cyberpunk scenario where normal people has access to extremely powerful tech. And we are living in this type of world. And we will see where we will go with all of this. Talking about, we said ChatGPT, by the way, several times. We know that a lot of companies are internally evaluating ChatGPT. They're evaluating it if uh, their teams can use ChatGPT to automate something. And at the same time, they're evaluating if their customers can use ChatGPT to automate something. So there is a lot of, in a way, soul searching, uh, mission searching, mission validation going within the industry. And that's uh, a very important and interesting process. Very inspiring to see. And at the same uh, time, at the and same at the time. same time, there is, yeah. I think, a lot of fear and misconception. And oh, people are afraid yeah. of losing their jobs. And I think that's something that comes also from misunderstanding the capabilities of generative AI. And uh, Jack Murray actually said, uh, Jack Murray put Media HQ at the VBEP Tech Day, said that the machine won't eat you. And that's something that we we'll also like to emphasize, that we don't believe that ChatGPT gonna, you know, you're going to get fired because of that. But we would like to talk more about what it can do to make your job easier 
to make you work faster, be more uh, you know, productive, but they will not fire you because of ChatGPT, basically. And that's Alicia's opinion. I <laughs> think that pretty much it depends what you're doing. And my opinion is, and it has always been the same opinion, that if people are doing uh, exactly the same thing every day, every hour, just repetitive work, menial work, the machines are aiming at that. So we as professionals and as natural intelligence should, in a way, learn how to use the machines to save, to set us free from menial work and use our uh, skills and knowledge and a different way of thinking compared to the machines in order to give better product. We need to learn that. Uh, I don't think... like. For me, the, the Pandora box is open. This tech will stay here. That That's part of the context. So this is this is not just a random fashion. It's not a hangover which will pass. And at the end, everything will be the same. It's not going to happen like that. All of this will stay here. And I'm sure that if this is not regulated out, it, like because we know that in Italy, chat GPT is currently forbidden. So if the, if we still have access with this tech, we as businesses will adapt our workflows, experts, researchers, etc., to utilize all of this, be way more productive, uh, create way better analysis, because we will be able to process more data and create more objective analysis. So that, that's the goal. Um, on one hand, uh, we are constantly flooded with new type of sources which generate enormous amount of data. This is like social media, traditional media, whatever, all of the new formats which appear. And uh, historically, we had this problem that if we want to understand what's going on within all of this data, we need people to read it. So right now, we'll have machines to help us to read that. So I don't think that uh, we will see mass layoffs of people, but we will see uh, mass changes of workflows within the organizations and the organizations which do not adapt and the specialists which do not adapt. Yeah, maybe they will lose business and maybe people will lose their jobs, but they, they will have the opportunity to change the way they are working and how yeah, do I they would agree. deliver. Yeah, I would yeah. agree that AI can help with the repetitive like, let's say, mindless job that shouldn't even require human input in the first place, I would say. And that doesn't need any initiative or any, like, uh, thinking out of the box and all of that. And that's something that we as people can focus on. And I think what companies should do is just to make sure that the talents that they have, they will be applied in a different way to do different things, to do better things to grow and all of that and not just looking at it as, okay, how can I cut my costs? Cutting costs is, of course, very important. And we all are looking at the generated AI from this point of view. But also, again, we are a very niche industry as a media intelligence industry, we're very niche. And finding talent in this industry uh, is not so easy with people who have insight already in the values that we represent and in the methodology that we use and all of that. Um, so. That's something that generative AI can help us with processing like a large number of data, writing automatic summaries, like even like proposing keywords for media monitoring services. Like, for example, I would like to monitor uh, climate change, but I cannot just write climate change as a keyword to monitor, right? So I can ask ChatGPT, for example, can you please give me a list of topics connected to climate change? And you have like, you know, 15 minutes of someone's free time because the, the AI could do that for you. But then again, you still have someone to need someone to write that prompt, right? And to then communicate with the client. And then 
f- checked if the results are good and, and yeah. tweak uh, the prompt a little bit and all of that. Or to just edit out the output of the machine. So we'll need people to supervise all of that. But yeah, they will be able to generate way, way more reports. In a way, we will see our industry, which will move from if we in a way agree that the editorial process within the media intelligence industry the last years it looked like the like a craftsmanship so you have these yeah, really uh, skillful people and they have uh, a lot of work which they do with their hands and it's really it's almost like an art and it's with extremely high quality it's very beautiful very insightful but in a way they are limited by the productivity of their own hands and the teams they are working with and we historically started to see synergy issues because there is like there is demand that the research should be done on bigger and bigger data sets and when we have uh, uh, people who are really good into that craftsmanship, but we needed a factory. So in a way, the AI can be like the industrial revolution, which will happen within the industry because we have these machines which are extremely productive, extremely fast, and they're capable to read and produce way faster compared to people that they're not ideal yet. Uh, There are a lot of deficiencies. And uh, by the way, uh, we're not going to focus this particular episode uh, for that. Uh, We already recorded an episode with Maya Kolevo from Cometric. Uh, You can listen to that where we, in detail, um, discussed with Maya about possible use cases and the possible shortcomings of this tech. Right now, we'll go back because we said that we will do this uh, foundation episode where we define uh, like basic stuff. And we'll talk about the basic vocabulary because we cannot uh, record episodes dedicated to generative AI uh, without mentioning most of these uh, terms. And we need to do that. So brace yourself. Uh, this will be a little bit like a lecture right now. And um, I will try to briefly explain a few of uh, the most popular uh, terms which we will meet in future when we discuss a new tech releases. So yeah, brace yourself. Um, we will try to do it as humane as possible. So I'm sure that you will be able to understand everything. And we'll start with maybe the the, the biggest uh, question. What is a large language model? That's the GPT part of uh, the chat GPT. And actually GPT stands for uh, generative pre-trained transformer. Pretty much this tech, the language model is... I'm sure that a lot of people won't agree with me directly, but it is safe to compare it with uh, autocomplete. So pretty much this is extremely powerful and really fancy autocomplete. Way different uh, compared to the, how the traditional autocomplete works. But when we have a language model, large language model, at the end, the only thing that model can do is to finish our sentences. So the machine, when it is trained, and it is the way the machine is trained, pretty much there is an algorithm and we send to that algorithm a huge amount of training data. And the training data is just pure text within different domains, but in a certain language. So let's say if we want to have a machine which should be able to understand English and produce text in English. So in order to educate a machine like that, we'll need billions of words that are stored in the documents and we need to send these documents to the machine and the machine will read all of that. And in a way, it will teach itself 
how we, the natural intelligence, structure our sentences. Pretty much is that. So when we have the language model, the language model is capable to do one thing only. And that that one thing only is to finish our sentences. So that's why I'm comparing it with uh, autocomplete. And that's why I'm saying that this is an autocomplete. But if within chat GPT, if we uh, have only the GPT part, that GPT part is capable only to autocomplete our sentences. So imagine we just sent to the machine, if we sent to the machine three words from statistical point based on all the documents which the machine read previously, the machine will be able to finish our sentence. So that, that's what a language model is. And currently, uh, the big competition is who will produce the biggest, the bigger language model. In a way, uh, the bigger is, is the language model, which is built on top of the biggest pile of uh, training data in terms of documents. So that's the goal here. So, Alicia, yeah, would you like to add something to that to that explanation? I, I just might add that uh, regarding from the data comes from, you can listen to our two part of our podcast called Ethica AL and the yeah. issues that we have with with the data that are coming into this language model and how, how they are sourced. But we have the whole, we have two whole episodes about Ethica AL issues yeah. already recorded. Okay, this is large language models. Then let's talk about what is fine-tuning of a model. Fine-tuning of a model is to add special knowledge, which will, in a way, allow the model, the already pre-trained model, do more than just finish our sentences. So that, that's a fine-tuning. So let's say we would like to teach the machine to write an ab abstracts. We need to find uh, fine-tune uh, the technology, the, the generative AI to, in a way, be able to write abstracts. So we should uh, add a lot of, uh, we should explain what an abstract is, and we should give a lot of examples of original documents and uh, abstracts which were written on top of that. So this is the fine-tuning of the model. The big expectation here is that if we are, like currently, ChatGPT, ChatSonic, they can deliver really good uh, quality. The thing we need to, need to understand right now and the thing we need to, in a way, check right now is are we going to deliver way better so abstracts if we fine-tune large language models, how good these abstracts could be. And yeah, that's fine-tuning. I'm just mentioning it here. This is what fine-tuning is. And we exp just explain because in future episodes, we will talk about fine-tuning of models. Then, the more you dive deep within all of this domain, you will learn about training data and prompt training data. All these machines, they need a lot of training data. And uh, for the language model, the training data is just a huge pile of text within a certain language. That text should be extremely diverse. Uh, it should be from different type of media. And the training data should be representative for let's say, the whole English language or the whole Polish language, the whole Italian language. So imagine millions, even billions of documents of unstructured text, articles, laws, everything, yeah, which is accessible via the internet should be fed to the machine. Prompt training data, so if you want to make the language model 
to, to act like uh, ChatGPT, we will need a lot of prompt training data. So the way we are doing that, we need a different training data. And pretty much that training data are a lot of examples of questions and answers. And they need to be written, the best cases, they need to be written by people. So that's the way we transform just the plane. And by the way, all of this is a simplification. Please, if you're a data scientist or someone who is really deep into all of this, on purpose, we are trying to like, keep things simple. But pretty much prompt training data is a huge set of questions and answers written by people, which are then fed to the machine. And at the end, after this process, we have a machine which behaves like a chatbot and it is able to, if we ask a question or if we give a task, then we will have some output similar to the way ChatGPT behaves. This is just the way to understand it. And we'll use this because right now there are a lot of projects to create free and open source from data, from training data. And that that's extremely important because this is like an extremely important tech if we want to deploy all of these models locally on our own infrastructure or our our own private cloud, etc. Because, yeah, there are a lot of dangers and possible dangers if we are going to use centralized uh, AI, centralized generative AI. Then, prompt engineering. Alicia, would you like to explain that or should I do it? I spent a couple of, I think, like last five days prompt engineering, so maybe you can, yeah, you can do uh, that. So you have PTSD. Okay, yeah, prompt engineering. basically. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much when we train the machines and when we, the way we interact the machine is it, it is with a prompt, the problem is that uh, we constantly need to update our prompt. So there is no, let's say, one universal prompt to rule them all, even for basic stuff like uh, an abstract. So pretty much if we want to have the perfect abstract for a different article, even articles with in the same domain or topic, we need to update our prompt. And the prompt, this is what we send to the machine. Like that's uh, that's the order, that's the question, or this is what we write to the machine in order to receive an output from the machine. Currently, a lot of people started to add uh, as their profession to be a prompt engineer. I'm really curious how long the prompt engineering profession will be alive because <laughs> there is another tech. Yeah, it, things are happening so fast and there is another tech which is called O2GPT, which in a way aims to eliminate prompt engineering already. So I'm not sure how long we will need prompt engineering. Maybe for just basic stuff, this will stay, but for more complicated reporting or for more complicated tasks, we'll use O2GPT. But that, yeah, that's another story. For, but yeah, prompt engineering, this is the skill to communicate with the machine, to, to give a task to the machine and to receive perfect output of the machine. So that, yeah, that's very we, yeah, hard. We wish it do. would be that easy, but yeah. It is not. I, it is not. Uh, and you think you, if you just write, please translate. It's, it's not yeah. working as, no, as it's supposed no. to work. And you don't have the same result every time. And yeah, so there's a lot of trial and yeah. error here. And you Absolutely. have to be patient and creative, really creative. Uh, sometimes rewriting yeah. the same sentence, but using different words generates a completely yeah. different outer. Yeah. 
even sometimes the same prompt <laughs> generates different results. And that's, yeah, that's the that's best normal. thing. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's the worst thing because you cannot yeah. fully automate a process because the output is in a way unpredictable. Uh, but yeah, that's part of the game and that's why we should have right now, we should have like a proper prompt engineering people who are in a way, uh, this is very similar to the search string building just 15 years ago when this was introduced within the media intelligence industry, first because of Google and then because all of the media intelligence platforms on all these dashboards, they're based on elastic uh, search string queries with Boolean operators, etc. So this is the next uh, level of all of that. We see people who should be extremely skillful when they communicate with generative AI. And that that's a job right now. But we will see how long this job will stay. And final remark regarding prompt engineering. In a way, the prompt is the biggest revolution here with AI because previously we used to have like the way we interacted with AI was via APIs or pipelines and we, we uh, created this like an ensemble of different AIs and we created these frameworks where we just take a document, send it to this ensemble of different AIs and at the end we have an output of the machine. All this was a task for data engineers, it was relatively complicated, etc. And right now the biggest revolution here is that we don't need anything of that. In a way, we need people who are capable to write in English and give orders to the machine via natural language. And these commands are the prompts. So the prompts are extremely powerful because they eliminate the need to utilize APIs for small-scale tasks. But yeah, these are prompts. Final thing from our vocabulary section is the model supervision. Model supervision or uh, human in the loop machine learning or yeah, pretty much monitoring the output of the machine. This is a strategy where we need people to verify the output because we don't want to just hook our customers to receive output of the generative AI. And the reasons uh, for that uh, is that there are a lot of risks with the quality of that output. Again, listen more of, from our previous episode with Maya Koliva, what are the possible risks. Alicia, do you think, are we missing anything important to add to our vocabulary here? From the vocabulary itself? Mm, yeah. I don't think so. I think we, we, co we covered everything perfectly. Okay, yeah. great. Then I will move to the risks. <laughs> Oh, we already no. mentioned a few. I will just mention them. So it's not just a brave, new, beautiful world where the machines and people, they just hold their hands and they just deliver. It's not like that. If you're a decision maker right now, I'm sure that you already evaluated all of this, but there are four big areas you need to monitor. The first one is data and knowledge leakage. This is the process where the more you interact with the machine, the more of the knowledge of your company could be transferred in, within that machine and it will be made available uh, to maybe your competitors. And by the way, this is my greatest fear that by utilizing the centralized uh, generative AI like ChatGPT or the things which will come from Google or similar companies, the more we work with all of this, the more of the knowledge of our knowledge-intensive organizations we will extract and transfer to the machines. Yeah. And that's so already that's, happened, right? So for Samsung, for example, it, they, they use their own code yeah. 
inside ChatGPT yeah. uh, ChatGPT interface, and um, and now they don't longer <laughs> have this code just for themselves. Yeah, that's true. This is uh, I believe that uh, this type of tech is currently forbidden within Samsung because they had data leakage. I'm talking about knowledge leakage. Uh, we are a knowledge industry, the media intelligence industry, and the big fear here is that the more our analysts and domain-specific experts work with this centralized AI, the more of their knowledge will be transferred to that machine. So in long term, we will lose that ability, this internal know-how, which was built during the years. And this is the way we differentiate between the different companies based on the knowledge, which is uh, locked within that those organizations. The big fear is that if we are not careful, we will eliminate this advantage and we will merge all of this with the machine. So, yeah, that's a risk. Then we should be aware of false facts. Uh, these machines are very often liars. They hallucinate, etc. We should be very careful of the output, especially ears, facts, etc. We need to double check that. The third uh, risk is lacks of explainability. So these machines, they do not explain themselves that well. That is the so, worst. This is like the worst yeah. part of it. Because sometimes I just don't understand what happened. I'm like, why? Yeah. Why you do this? And and I sometimes I'm like frustrated and ask it directly. Why? Why? Why did you generate that? It's like, I'm yeah. sorry that my output is not up to your standards. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it cannot explain you that for a lot of tasks, but there will be a lot of effort put in that direction. So maybe in a sh short term, which is a year, uh, we will see huge progress regarding AI explainability. And the last thing is upcoming regulations and copyright issues. We can speak a lot of time. Maybe we need to record a separate episode just dedicated on copyright issues. But there is a huge talk. There are two aspects, copyright and training the machines. Do we need to license all the data? And there is different approach within the US and the EU. Of course, the EU is more, more protective to copyright in US. In a way, it's a little bit more relaxed regarding this type of transformation tasks. And the other one is who has the copyright of the output of the machine. Mm. Again, a lot of different approaches here, risks, etc. These are things which you as a decision maker or a professional within the media intelligence industry should be aware and you should know the answer, if there are correct answer or the current state of affairs uh, regarding these uh, four major risks. So pay attention to all of this. Me and Alicia, we will cover this type of topics uh, within our future episodes, which are dedicated on the generative AI revolution. These are the risks. Am I missing anything important, uh, Alicia? No, again, we already covered Not that again. part. Uh, so that's something that you can look up uh, for, with our previous episodes. The copyright issue, as you mentioned, is a pretty big deal. Uh, also, there is the issue that is common, I think, which will be the regulations. And again, the law is pretty slow, and we know that probably that the European AI Act yeah. is probably already outdated. 
so and it's it hasn't in the past yet. So yep, but there are news that things are moving on and deregulation. Like I read an article, but we're not going to stop on that. But read an article just a few days ago that uh, the AI Act almost passed, and right now there is a lot of speculation that if the AI Act passes here we, within EU, we will lose access to the so-called open source uh, language model, large language models, because they're open source, they're free to distribute, but they're not validated that they're ethical and safe regarding that act. So if the worst case scenario happens here in EU, we'll lose the ability to download (laughs) everything which American companies produce and distribute and free and open source software. So we'll lose a huge innovation advantage, which we can have if we have access to all of that. And this is just one of the things uh, regarding regulation here in the EU. But again, this is a very complex topic and we will have a separate episode focused on that AI and copyright. Okay, I will move a little bit and me and Alicia would like to talk about how to deal with all of this technology flood which is happening. And it's not just technology, it's disruption in uh, copyright, disruption in regulation, disruption in workflows, disruption in tech, disruption in everywhere within the industry. So what should we do? How to adapt our organizations? I will share my vision here. This is what I have implemented within our group of companies. And the first thing is, I think that we as an industry should move from plant innovation to, I call it, agile applied research. So I don't think that right now a roadmap, like a yearly roadmap, is viable anymore. We don't need, yeah, we can, we cannot do that. We need to create a way more agile approach of, let's say, like an internal task force of people who are constantly monitoring new tech and then workshops and hackathons uh, really focused on deploying all of these as fast as possible uh, and doing practical experiments, how this can be can be utilized within the organization. So pretty much if you're a decision maker in a media intelligence organization, you need to put, and that's, that's not an option. You need to do that if you want your organization to, in a way, stay competitive. Otherwise, uh, all the other organizations will have hands-on experience on all of this tech and they will be able to, to make how to call them, a more objective and realistic decisions of what is possible and what is not possible with all of this. So yeah, uh, we need to change the way we are planning innovation. Then uh, my, my other opinion is that we should be very careful how do we interact with centralized cloud-based uh, generative AI uh, because of all these fears that we have that the more we, if we uncontrollably interact with uh, the centralized uh, generative AI, we will upload all the specific knowledge which we uh, built internally within our organizations. And the, the possible remedy to all of that is not to stop uh, utilizing this type of tech, but to, in a way, try to replicate it uh, on our own infrastructure. So that's why we need way more data scientists compared to what we needed before. We need way more data engineers. We need uh, MLOps. We need all of these people who know how to, where to look, how to download 
download, how to uh, deploy this and how to make it work within our own infrastructure. And this is a really important part of the game that that's again one of my uh, that's part of uh, the vision how all of these contexts uh, currently uh, uh, contributes to the organizational change. Third, I think that from uh, general reptile large language models, we need to move to domain-specific large language models. And by using reptile, I strongly advise you to read uh, the most of the books by by Kahneman. That that's why one of my favorite uh, psychologists and uh, has this great explanation of how the human brain works. And pretty much he says that we have two type of brains: our reptile brain or the so-called system number one and our advanced brain or system number two. But pretty much our reptile brain is our fast thinking. This is the way, uh, like, imagine that we are walking within the forest and suddenly we see something orange with stripes and our reptile brain just tell us run because, yeah, maybe that's tiger and we don't have the time to stop, take a look and, oh, is it tiger? No, no, we just need to run because if it is a tiger, tiger, it will eat us. So these are usually very fast decisions, very, in a way, but without a lot of thinking. And big, uh, large language models right now, they are very similar to reptile brain uh, first people. So we, we want to move our large language models from that state and in a way train it with a specific knowledge, in a way make it understand, so move it to the next level. So this is all this fine-tuning, which I previously explained, fine-tuning, context building, prompt engineering, etc., in order to create an AI which is deployed within an organization which is as fast, as controllable, and as safe as possible for our organization and, of course, for society and for our researchers. So yeah, we need to do that. So that that's uh, my third vision. And the last thing is that we need to move from coding data and supervision to prompt training data and supervision plus prompt data engineering. In long term, I'm sure that all of this tech will evolve uh, with prompt, just basic prompt engineering or O2GPT engineering. But yeah, for sure, we'll have way more technology which will allow us to automate the interactions which we have with the machine to achieve better results. And we need that talent within the organization. We need that skill within the organization. Otherwise, uh, uh, we will miss uh, key benefits of all of this tech. Alicia, would you like to add something to uh, these four? No, I think I couldn't agree more, especially with the first part, because I saw some people think like, okay, I live in a country with the, when the labor cost is relatively low, so there is no need for me to look into that. But if you are looking only on the cost side of this thing, you're going to stay behind and you're going to have such a big disadvantages. So right now we are in this testing phase when we kind of still affect the way that these large language models are working. So they adapt to the way that we use them. I think even if you are not planning to implement the solution right now, you should have someone in your yeah. company that is, you know, keeping mm. an eye on what's going on and using it and making, even if you are not using it right now, maybe just write some use cases and try it out. Maybe the outcome will be even better than you, than you predicted. So yeah, so don't only look at the cost uh, value of this, of, the, of this thing, because 
what it I think it's gonna it's gonna do amazing things. And I sometimes I'm like I'm stunned about with the results. Okay, final segment of this episode. And in a way, a teaser of what we're going to do in future episode. And that's a really brief overview of the new tech you need to currently monitor. And I will start with O2GPT. This is a tech which is still in a little bit, how to say it, a hackerish level. So it's not just uh, something you install easily and you utilize it easily. You need a Python engineer uh, who should work with this. But yeah, this pretty much automates, like with AutoGPT, you can create a recipe of what would you like to achieve. And then you leave the machine to have interactions with uh, uh, large language models in order to achieve best, best result for you. And this is huge. This is the thing which will possibly kill uh, prompt engineering for a lot of tasks, especially for more complicated results. But yeah, you need to take a look at that, um, install it uh, locally. You need your engineers to play with it and you should know what's going on with this um, tech. Then I think that... You should monitor Whisper by OpenAI. This is a completely different model. This is not a language model. This is a speech-to-text model, which is an open source, free and open source software. So, of course, validate all of this with legal, your legal departments, but take a look at that. And pretty much this is a really extremely <laughs> powerful money saver because you can implement a lot of speech-to-text and you can increase your broadcast monitoring and maybe you don't need to pay that much to serve services just for translation, for speech-to-text, not for speech-to-text. This is an open source model. You can uh, deploy it locally and you can process if you have enough uh, computers, servers, etc. You can process a lot of data and it's not just in English, it covers a lot of languages. So yeah, very interesting thing. Take a look. Still, this is a tech which gives a lot of good results. Then for your developers, you need to monitor things like Copilot and Code Whisperers. This is tech which allows your software engineers to write faster code. I really don't think that with the current state of this tech, this will make your software engineers obsolete. No, that's not going to happen. But it could, based on what they're doing, there is a potential to improve their productivity. Yeah, so just take a look at that, evaluate it. And by the way, be careful how to use that. Uh, because yeah, data leakage, knowledge leakage, etc. this is valid here. Then the front of open source language models. I think, like currently... We have several old versions and they're uh, like uh, forked versions of old GPT models, like GPT-1, GPT-2, they were free and open source models. And we know that uh, there are several versions of that called um, GPT-G and GPT-Neo, which are better language models, which are free and uh, open source. But the new models, uh, GPT-3 and GPT-4, they're not open, so you cannot have access to them. You need to pay and just just to communicate with them. So maybe the most modern current architecture is uh, Llama from Facebook. So you need to take a look at that. That model and several versions of that model, they leaked. Of course, they're accessible right now for research purposes, but there is a lot of effort done by activists and enthusiasts to utilize this and to create uh, completely free and open source models, which allows us to do business with on top of them. Because, yeah, the current licenses, they're for research. 
research purposes only, and you cannot use them to conduct business. But yeah, there is a lot of effort to create uh, models, large language models with the Llama architecture. So yeah, take a look of all of that. So monitor things like Alpaca, uh, Vacuna, Red Pajama, stuff like this. You need to all take the a animals, look at this. basically. All the really big hairy animals. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're in a way related with the Llama architecture. And this is when I said that just a few months ago, all of this was accessible only for people like Mark Zuckerberg. Right now, everyone can study how all of this works and uh, everyone can, for research purposes, can uh, have some experience with uh, these models. So yeah, take a look at this. And again, involve your legal departments uh, regarding that. But then DALI, Midjourney and Stable Diffusion, these are the generative AI for image generation. Still, I'm not thinking this is very practicable for the media intelligence industry. I don't see that many use cases how we as an industry can utilize that, but that's my current understanding. Lisa, do, do you see, as far as I understand, you're a product developer right now. Do you see any viable use cases how we as an industry can use this type of tech, DALI, Midjourney, and Stable Diffusion to improve uh, our products, reports, visualizations, etc.? I think maybe for the companies that uh, also specialize in the PR, that can be really helpful for the visualizations for, you know, for making like uh, product visualizations and like mood boards and all of that. But specifically for media monitoring purposes, I'm not sure, sure right now. I would, I would have to look into that. I, I was wondering if we can do something with, for example, uh, making our reports look better because that's something that, you know, sometimes it's, uh, we are kind of lacking in mm. that department. Uh, but that will be something that I will have to look into more. Okay. And we are yeah. at the end of this podcast. Yeah, it's just almost an hour, but yeah. And we'll finish it with a quote from uh, Sam Ullman, that's the CEO of OpenAI. These are OpenAI is the organization which is behind ChatGPT. And he said the following thing, ChatGPT is incredibly limited, but good enough at some things to create a misleading impression of greatness. It's a mistake to be relying on it for anything important right now. It's a preview of progress. We have lots of work to do on robustness and truthfulness. And this is not our words of me, Alicia, Maya, and all the people within the industry. This is uh, the CEO of OpenAI. So we will cover all of these topics. But yeah, please follow this advice. Be careful, uh, measure everything, measure output, double check the output, etc. This is the current state of affairs. Be careful with all of this. Saying all of that, Alicia, would you like to say something like the final words are yours? Final words are mine. Oh, what a big privilege. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, we will be, uh, we have this idea to bring uh, the podcast more often and we will yeah. try to, you know, keep up with all the news and bring you all the news because again, everything is happening so fast and we haven't mentioned Elon yeah. Musk in this podcast episode. So we have to do that in the next one. Yes. Uh, but yeah, so we'll try to bring you more content, more useful and exciting and, you know, up-to-date content. So, you know, subscribe to our podcast and stay in touch. <laughs> Thank you and bye-bye.